Live from the Daily Planet, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Tim. Hello, Nick. This is like kind of a normal sort of locale. Um, you got people working on computers over there. I've got to see a photographer that's trying to, to convince his editor that he's got the best picture available. And that one guy just, I thought I saw some really big guy just duck in the closet for some reason. Uh, no, no, look, you must be mistaken. It's this guy with glasses coming out. Oh. I don't think. Yeah, my imagination then. Yeah, I guess so. But So, um, how's life, Tim? Uh, life is going well. All right. We had our epic episode 90 come out not too yeah. long ago, and I was very relieved to get that that done. <laughs> it was good. It was a joyful episode. I, I, I hope people enjoyed it. We enjoyed talking about it. Um, I was realizing one thing we should probably talk about a little more often, just, I don't know, a little birdie told me. Um, maybe we should kind of introduce our podcast here a little bit more and yes. kind of tell people what we talk about. So this is Dural Train the Thought. This is We talk about storytelling, both writing stories and Absorbing stories, mm-hmm. anything story related. From um, the creator perspective and from the audience perspective. I'm Nick Hayden. I'm kind of the writer of the group. And I'm Timothy Deal, and I'm more the videographer guy, but I've dabbled in writing now and then. I've dabbled in videography. <laughs> That's true. So <laughs> no. we have a lot of cross interests, and that, uh, that helps us out to talk about all manner of, of uh, the storytelling world, yes. I guess you could say. And so, and normally we start off with some topic in our story school. All right, Tim, I'll let you intro this one. Okay, we've got a very special guest. Uh, we recorded an interview with an old schoolmate of mine. Her name is Laura Finch. At the time when I knew her back in college, it was, I think it was Laura Nosp. We both went to Taylor University, Upland. Nick, you and I, we met at Taylor Uni- University, Fort, Fort Wayne, Wayne. Which is no longer in existence. Sadly. So we met my freshman year, your senior year. That dates us, I guess. Um, yes. I don't know why. <laughs> But then for I'm old. <laughs> uh, after that, I went down to Upland. For, after my freshman year, I went down to Upland and worked with Laura in the theater department. We were in the same uh, co-ed dorms, Swallow Robin Hall. And she is actually currently a reporter for World Magazine. And as we found out as we were talking, she also freelances for some other places. But I've been a big fan of World Magazine for a long time. I, I kind of grew up with, uh, I don't know if you heard Joel Belts talk on their podcast, The World and Everything in it, about the God's World newspapers. Uh, yes. I, yeah. Actually, I grew up with those. Okay. So I've been familiar with that for a while. And then I these days I tend to follow the podcast a bit more than the I magazine. listen to podcasts pretty regularly. And for the audience, World Magazine is basically like a Christian version of Time Magazine. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a pretty good summary. And and uh, so in our this interview, you'll get to hear in a little bit, Laura talks about what led her into journalism, about world's philosophy for reporting. And this is kind of different for, you know, for our podcast. Normally we're talking about fictional storytelling, but for her, even though it's non-fictional, it still has a lot of the same heart of telling stories and... Uh, Agonists had, and conflict. And- mm-hmm. All that, the same sorts of drive for telling stories is, holds true whether it has, happens to be non-fictional or fictional. Just yep. in this case, it's a lot more of upfront truth, yeah. essentially. So with that said, I hope you enjoy this interview with Laura Finch. Okay, so today we have with us uh, Laura Finch. Uh, Laura, welcome to the program. I'm so glad to be here. Man, it has been a long time since we were in the same uh, co-ed dorm and we did some theater stuff together. But you were a psychology major, correct? That's true, yeah. Were you a a theater minor? No, I just spent all my time in the theater. (laughs) Okay. Probably more than I spent in our dorm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's, that's fair. Theater will do that to you. Yeah. But considering all that, I was very curious what led you to journalism and then eventually world. Yeah. So um, I got really interested in politics kind of by way of like the AIDS crisis. And so I went out and did a semester in Washington, D.C. I interned for a nonprofit and I thought I really wanted to be like 
a communications person for a nonprofit and like telling the story of that organization and what they were doing. So I, I figured probably the best way to do that would be to actually work in politics first. So I went and worked for a state legislator who fortunately was elected to Congress, went and worked for him in Congress, also worked at C-SPAN, which really kind of formed my like journalistic philosophy. Um, and along the way, I also realized like if I work for one organization, I'm going to get really bored because I'm telling that one story really like every day of my life. Right. So I, I kind of realized like, Hey, if I start writing under my own name instead of under this legislator's name, maybe I could tell more stories. So I went and got a master's degree in interactive journalism, which is like online, the online presentation of a, of a news story, including photography and editing and a bunch of things. And now I've been freelancing for some different Christian publications. So yeah, it's kind of a meandering journey from where we started out in Swallow Robin Hall, for sure. Sure. Well, I, I think that's really interesting that the thing that led you to continue exploring, I love that it was that you wanted to tell other kinds of stories. Yeah. So many people think, we'll just assume reporting is just such a boring kind of like just getting the facts kind of stuff. But no, your, your main heart there is in the storytelling, which I think is cool. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's the wrong way to do it. Like you're not supposed <laughs> to, you're not supposed to start out in PR and uh, then go to journalism. You're supposed <laughs> to like start out as a journalist and then go to PR. That's how you make the big bucks. But with some help from editors, I've been like unlearning some of those, those PR habits, but there's a lot of overlap, a lot of overlap. You mentioned um, that you learned some of your kind of philosophy of journalism from C-SPAN. Can you share some of the things you learned? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a big thing at C-SPAN is just kind of respecting the viewer or the listener or the reader, mm-hmm. you know, whoever it is. Yeah. Because, of course, C-SPAN is just presenting events in their entirety, right? They don't even have a reporter to, like, summarize the event for you. They're just presenting the event. And so they're really allowing you to make the decisions. So if they like, they do have a morning program, it's long form interviews. So it's like 45 minute segments and the host will, you know, ask pretty hard questions and then callers get to ask questions as well. But one thing that's always stuck with me is that the founder, Brian Lamb would always say like, I never would repeat a question. Like if you ask a question and then the interviewee gives just a crazy answer on C-SPAN, you would never say, let me get this straight. You just (laughs) said this, like, no, because you're expecting that the viewer has heard what they just said and they don't need it repeated. So that's, that's just one example. But also, you know, when you think about the way that news is presented, it's so, it's so crazy and it's so polarizing. So but just think about being the guy at C-SPAN that is like tweeting out the C-SPAN content, right? And do you, do you label it in the tweet, like chairman asks witness a question, or do you label it chairman lambasts the witness? You know, like even yeah. little choices like that are, are an editorial decision. And so um, kind of starting from that place of utter, of course, you know, as you know, everybody's coming at this with a worldview. It's impossible to erase your worldview. But coming at it from that kind of background, I think, has really colored the things that I do for other publications. That's interesting. I, I had not thought of C-SPAN of having that kind of, um, I mean, it is. it always does strike me as a very neutral sort of ground, which not a lot of cable news is anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. But I have often appreciated the way World Magazine, and you said, you freelance for a couple places and you can talk about those if you want. But I think world also does a very good job at basically just stating the truth and not over sensationalizing a lot of the news that they report on. Can you talk a little bit about their philosophy and maybe how, what you learned at C-SPAN kind of overlaps with that? Yeah. So world would say like, obviously we're all coming at it with a different worldview and here's ours. It's what we call biblically objective journalism. So we make no bones about it. Like there are certain issues that are just, we feel they're clear cut and we're not even going to spend time debating them. Other issues are worth debating because they're not made clear in the Bible. 
and um, wise Christians don't always agree on them. Sure. So that's that's biblically objective journalism. But just like you know, in fiction writing, like if I'm doing a feature for the podcast, there's got to be a protagonist, there's got to be an antagonist, there's got to be a mission, there's got to be an obstacle. So um, sometimes that's where I have to kill my my PR habits. <laughs> <laughs> because I I find this great thing and I just want to talk about it. And then my editor's like, okay, but like what makes it hard to do their job? What do they have to battle every day? PR so, instincts are probably just to talk about all the great stuff. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, zing, zing, zing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I do a lot of fiction. I don't, I don't write much nonfiction, but I like that idea that you're still doing the same thing, basically. Totally. So you write for both print and for podcasts. Can you explain me some of the differences you do in approaching a story? Is there a lot of difference or is it basically just record it? I think there's a huge dis- difference because in print, you have to be really sparing with your quotes. Because if you have just a string of quotes, like that's unreadable. Nobody can read that. But in radio, like my voice as the narrator is merely the thing that's tying everything together. And I get to use the other person. Maybe this is where C-SPAN comes in because I'm using <laughs> primarily the other person to talk and I'm only going to fill in the gaps where I absolutely have to, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or use sound to set the scene, you know, show, don't tell that classic saying in radio, you get to use a sound bite of someone grinding their coffee or working in their workshop or whatever it is rather than telling someone with words. So it's like completely different texture almost. And I did a lot of editing in grad school and it's been really, uh, it's super satisfying, you know, not just to, to hear the final result, but um, to put it all together and to edit it just the way that you want. It's, it's quite different than putting words on a page. Question following up, like when you put together a, you know, audio report, how does the editor interact with that? Do you turn script in and then you do that and then you make the audio? Yes. Yeah. So first of all, I would pitch the idea. Okay. And then they would say yes or no and then give parameters. And I would go out and gather the audio, do the interview, bring it back, probably transcribe the interview. Okay. Supposedly there's some cool Amazon and Google tools that might do that for us in the future. (laughs) Um, But usually it means transcribing the interview And then identifying my favorite quotes, putting those quotes in a document, you know, writing more script around it, and then handing that into the editor. And, you know, when you've been doing it a while, they have fewer edits, of course. So the bulk of the work probably is the gathering of the sound. So you do give all your your audio files to an editor to basically cut the the audio story together, but you kind of write the script. Is that kind of what when you say you're editing, you're you're talking about the script for the audio story? World is fortunate that they do have some full time technical guys who are phenomenal that can put everything together. But I know in other news organizations that is not always the case. You might be writing the script and doing the editing in the editing suite. So it just depends. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we'll come back to world here a little bit, because that's the one Nick and I listen to the world and everything in it pretty regularly. Really? Um, Yeah. Yay. Uh, (laughs) I I think it's the best source of news out there, honestly. But I'm curious because you did say that you freelance for some other places. So what other places would those be right now? Yeah. So one is relevant which is, okay. you know, relevantmagazine.com. Mm-hmm. And one is, um, I cannot reveal quite yet because it's not quite done, but it'll, oh, be, okay. it'll be out in the next few weeks. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. One other question I guess I had about the story. So you say you, you pitch certain stories to do world. So do they ever like assign you stories? Like we need someone to cover such and such thing. So do that. Or do they have, you have like a beat that like you, you specialize in doing this kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. They they do assign when they have something come up and they know it might be kind of in my wheelhouse. So like there was a um, a gap this summer where they didn't have a political person and I filled in on some of the political writing for the website. But they have since found a person. So that's great. And like if they know of something in Chicago that's coming up that they would like covered, like somebody just called me the other day about it pastor that has a home church in Chicago and they're interested in getting audio from that and having a feature. So they might offer that, or I might be writing something for web 
and think this would be really good for radio. I'm going to suggest it over there because it's different editors, like different editors for every platform. Okay. Sure. That makes sense. So, yeah. And I do have to make a plug. Okay. Yeah. If either of you or any of your listeners are interested in writing for World, they have what's called the World Journalism Institute. You're probably familiar with this. I've heard it, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 have a, I help teach uh, the youth group at our church, and one of the kids is in college now, and he's going for journalism. I keep saying, hey, there's this World Institute journalism thing. And that leads me into a, a question is, what, what do you tell someone who's interested in journalism? Like, what should they focus on? What should they, you know, be doing? Well, first of all, if you can do anything other than journalism, do that. <laughs> Probably like writing in general. You mean do that first? Yeah, do that first. Like, okay, this should okay. be your last resort. Like, if you, can't, if you can't possibly live without it in your life, then go forth and be happy. Because the money is not good. <laughs> it's not. And yeah. you know this. You know, you're writers, too. But yes. um <laughs> So journalism is no different, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a dismal time, and it's also a super exciting time because, like, anybody can have a podcast, you know? You can just sit yeah. down in front of a microphone, and you have a podcast, and that's super exciting. But also, because of the splintering of news, you know, since cable came on the scene, yeah. really, mm -hmm. and we went from, like, three or four big networks to, like, a million networks, mm -hmm. plus streaming... There's so um, many different places. I, I mean, I would say intern because the learning curve is steep and nobody wants to teach you something. You know, they would rather hire somebody that's already interned and they would rather hire an intern that's already done it for the school paper. You know, it's kind yeah. of a loop. Yeah. But again, it's like a really tough time to do it. It's also a really exciting time to do it. But and it did sound like you, since you did other things first, it, like they kind of contributed to... I mean, you said you're breaking away from your PR roots, but it still gave you more background for the political scene than I would certainly have, especially if I was just coming right out of undergrad going trying to be journalism. I would not know that much stuff, but probably going into political realm, having a job in that helps you transition into, into the journalism thing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Everything kind of lined up just right. And I think I, I started my degree at just the right time and... I finished my degree at just the right time and I found the world journalism Institute at just the right time. So yeah, I mean, so much of it is networking of course too. Well, we're jumping all over the place in terms of topics here, but I, one thing I wanted to make sure to ask you about since just last episode, we talked a lot about sound in storytelling uh, and we had a lot of fun with the medium there, but I was very curious how you, you talked about how you get sound for the location can you kind of talk about what that looks like? Do you go around, like, for example, uh, back in June, you did a story about um, a farm over in Chicago that was doing 19th century kind of uh, farming techniques uh, for the public and showing that off. And you had a lot of sounds of, in that case, you had it like she was doing a demonstration of shearing a sheep and stuff. So that was a pretty easy thing to get sound of. But other times maybe you're like, Okay, without, again, touring a farm or touring a location or someplace. Yeah. Do you just kind of walk around with a microphone trying to pick interesting things up? And that, what does that, how does that work? Yeah, well, I mean, knowing whether or not something is going to be good sound is part of what might cause me to pitch it in the first place. Okay. Like that, sh the sheep shearing festival, actually, uh -huh. we went with my kids and we walked in and here's this, this girl, like about our age, you know, shearing the sheep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this has to be, I have to do this for the podcast. <laughs> so I like went home, put my kids down for nap, emailed my editor on my phone. I was like, there's this sheep cheering festival. It'd be so great. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, okay, but make sure you're right up and close to the sheep. Okay. <laughs> so I went back during their nap and I'm like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I want to, you know, tape you doing this. And so I, she didn't let me inside the fence because like, the sheep get kind of crazy, but I'm like kind of, you know, shooting my arm like through the fence, like holding the microphone as close as it could be. <laughs> so again, after you've been doing it for a while, you start to hear stuff in everyday life that you're like, oh, that's a different kind of sound. That's a fun sound. I wonder if I could make a story out of it. Probably like you guys, you're probably always thinking like, that would make a great short story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's how I run. Or a great topic or yeah. yes, what have you. Yeah. So, okay. it's, a, it's a lot like that. That makes sense. 
Yeah. So, and then when probably, I guess when you interview someone, you just do it the same way you would like, well, <laughs> I was going to say same way you do it like a video, but I don't know if you ever, have you ever done when you worked for C-SPAN, did you ever shoot any video on your own or? We did just like smaller videos, like kind of promotional stuff, but we did okay. do one where we, um, it was the 35th anniversary of the network. And so we went around to all the members of the House of Representatives that had been around at the start of C-SPAN, <laughs> and we yeah. interviewed them. Wow. So that was really cool. And that was just on our phones. We did the whole thing on our phones, which is kind of crazy, right? Like how far uh -huh. have we come in 35 years that we did this yeah. thing all on our phones? Uh, so my colleague was there like with his phone, like doing the video. And I think I had my phone with a microphone in, or, you know, hooked up to the microphone, which was like clipped to his little lapel okay. mm -hmm. um and we did it that way nice. but i i never i was never behind the camera for anything that went like on the network okay are there some topics that are just harder to cover than others i mean i know i know world did do a uh, story recently about scandals in the protestant church even though you know the scandals in the catholic church are the headlines right now but i imagine it's I always think it's interesting world doesn't shy away from talking about problems even within the church. And this hits kind of close to home because we were just talking beforehand about Nick and I both knew um, one of our professors at Taylor was basically caught up in one of these, these scandals. And it's very hard to hear about that kind yeah. of thing. But so I guess my question is, so what sort of pressures do you guys put on yourselves and how do you tackle those, those sorts of issues? I mean, in the case of the Taylor thing, like I would never... I would never want to cover that. I mean, primarily because it would be a huge conflict of interest. So I'm glad, you know, they had someone else cover that. But I mean, it kind of goes back to like, like world has done this throughout its existence. Like it's never been afraid to go after those really hard topics because how could we let people off the hook for something like that? Because they, they pretend to be Christian, right? Like we're, we're not PR for them. And there have been several times in world's existence when they've kind of risked, you know, the entire magazine by running a story because they knew that someone was going to be really mad about it. And you probably saw just a few weeks ago, they ran a, a thing about the newspaper, the student newspaper at Liberty University. Yeah, I did read that one. Yeah. So same thing there, you know, like Liberty doesn't get a free pass because they say that they're Christian. Like that yeah. would be crazy. Yeah. yeah. I think it's healthy for the church too. I mean, as a Christian publication, I think it's, we don't do ourselves any favors by trying to hide certain things just because like you say, it's a PR thing. We're trying to, you know, that's no, we're a Christian organization should be about the truth, whatever that means. And it's not like we go, I never felt like the world is trying, was a muckracker that was looking for scandals and trying to bring it problems. Like, no, you, but you still have to take an honest look at these issues. Yeah, Absolutely. I guess related to that, you know, we talked about there's a lot of sensationalism in the news. And obviously, as a journalist, you try to write in such a way that takes that out. Maybe that's the point. But how have you trained yourself to to kind of weed through the back and forth of like CNN and Fox News and in telling your story? Well, um, I, I, obviously, I can't control what CNN or Fox well, says. Yeah. I can just keep myself informed. But. Marvin Alasky, who's the head editor of World, always says, like, overstated facts, understated prose. I think that's his mm. thing. In other words, again, you can respect the listener. Like, they're going to, you don't have to blow something out of proportion when you're describing it. You don't have to use flowery adjectives or beat it over their heads. Like, if you lay out the case, they can decide. Just the facts. Yeah. Especially in this climate. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. there's a lot to write about right now in Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it hard to do just the facts on some topics? Well, I mean, it helps that, like you said, you kind of have to have a beat and you know your readers. And even within one organization, there might be several platforms. So you might kind of know where things are going. So you might kind of have a better idea of like, this would work for this, but not there. And you okay. kind of have to fit it in. So even within every organization, there's a lot of there's a lot of room for different kinds of stories and op-ed versus a reported story. And, you know, I wonder if that helps, because sometimes I wonder even look, looking at World or maybe, I don't know, some other news organizations, people that deal with news. 
I mean, there's a lot of negative news out there, not even just the politicizing aspect of it, but just it could be a very heavy business. Does having a kind of balancing out that work, does that kind of help alleviate some of the keep off feeling overwhelmed? How do you deal with kind of the, just the, the heaviness of, of doing what you do? Well, I think you just said it right there. I mean, like, it really helps to do a story about a sheep shearer once in a while. <laughs> like, seriously, it's really nice to, like, get outside and say, like, okay, here are the people doing regular work. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't been in office for 38 years or whatever. <laughs> I highly recommend, you know, this kind of freelance lifestyle. It's really nice. <laughs> As opposed to just staying in the beltway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that takes so much persistence. Like I can't even, I can't even fathom. So what would you say, what do you think is one of your favorite stories that you've gotten to put together for, for world or for another publication? Well, um, I had a cover story in world actually two years ago, almost exactly two years ago. And it was about bathrooms. So you should look it up. Yeah. It was about, this was at a time when, there was a big national discussion about what do we do with people that are transgender and which bathroom do we send them to basically. And, um, Marvin Olasky, again, the head editor was kind of like, what if, like, what if all the group bathrooms just became private bathrooms? So I looked into it and I interviewed a bunch of people and I got some architects to give me actual pricing. Mm-hmm. So that was a really fun story to write. And that was probably the longest story I've written to date. But the radio story that always stands out to me actually also involved bathrooms (laughs) because it's this man uh, who's like a a friend of a friend, but he hires people with disabilities to clean churches with him. So he has a cleaning service. Yes, I remember the story. Yeah. So to have like this, this man with autism, like showing me his method for cleaning out a toilet bowl, that was like some of the greatest audio. Like I just loved, I loved that story. That was so great. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I get one of the things I loved about world is they, them highlighting stories about, um, everyday people. Yeah, just normal. Like they had the clock maker this week. Yes. You know, it's just, it is a really good reminder and good for that. Uh, dealing with that. Everything is dark. It's like, no, there's, yes. there's decent people in this world that are doing good things for the yeah. church and for the kingdom. Yeah, they really look for those kinds of stories. So uh, we, we saw that you've reviewed a number of um, documentaries, Netflix shows, etc. So tell us some of your either your favorites or worst kind of uh, things on the web, streaming, etc. Well, of course, recently we had Anne with an E, which was really disappointing. <laughs> they were... uh, my wife watched the first season. She's like, I can't. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Don't even bother with the second season. They really butchered it. So there was that. I mean, of course, a lot of times, like, I end up reviewing stuff that I probably wouldn't normally watch, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Like, I just got to see the upcoming reboot of Magnum P.I. Okay. Oh, okay. You got an advanced copy of that? They, 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 I they did. I Ooh, did. Cool. <laughs> so I got to see that. So that was fun. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, it really has prompted me to watch some documentaries I wouldn't otherwise watch. Yeah. Or like, oh, what's it called? Not Making a Murderer, The Staircase. Did you guys see The about Staircase? That. I've not seen it. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I would say it's not quite as depressing as Making a Murderer, but there's this whole, th- I don't want to give it away, <laughs> but there's like a whole theory online that has developed afterwards about what actually happened to this woman who Ooh. tragically died, which yeah. you will just have to look up. And it's it's really crazy. My husband teases me about it all the time because I'm like a firm believer now in this con- basically a conspiracy theory, but it really might've happened. <laughs> Interesting. I did wonder about that if, if, uh, cause I was like, she reviews some really different stuff. I was wondering again, how much that was your idea, how much that was the uh, editor's idea. Yeah. I would say 50, 50. Okay. A lot of times I'm like, Hey, this is coming up. What do you think? And a lot of times they're like, Oh, we really need this right now. <laughs> Great. Well, I guess that's about all we got for you. Um, so any any final words you want to say for people to why they should go check out World or your work on Relevant? Oh, well, it's just great. It's just great work. But I did have a few links for you to plug. Sure. Okay. Um, first of all, so for anyone who has 
who has written a book, and especially if you've self-published, I used to do some work for this website called hometownreads.com. Okay. For free, you can list your book and it's all by location. So like they would put you in whatever city in Indiana or the closest bigger city in Indiana. Um, Because the idea is that people often don't know the great authors that are living really close to them and writing about topics that are relevant to their area. So it's a free listing, I think, for the first book. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's run by a woman in Michigan. So it's all very, very local. But they've got a lot of cities, I think like 100 cities now. And then also, if you have anybody listening who's in high school or middle school and is a filmmaker, the C-SPAN Student Cam Contest is really good. So you put together a film on a topic. This year, I think the theme is like, what does it mean to be an American? And then you submit it in January. And then if you win, you get cash prizes and the C-SPAN bus might come to your school. Wow. And then, of course, we talked about you know, the World Journalism Institute, which is worldji.com. But then the last thing was the audio episode you just did made me think of uh, the How Sound podcast, Okay, which is a, a must listen, really. You guys would love it. It's by Transom. Okay. We're, we're definitely on a podcast kick these yeah. days. We, try, we like to try out new podcasts. Yeah. So it's, it's the How Sound podcast from Transom. So transom.org slash podcasts. Um, that's a, a really good one for thinking about, you know, just everything in radio storytelling. It's like the NPR, it's like behind the scenes NPR. Oh, cool. nice. How the sausage is made. <laughs> it's really good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's, it's been you. great to catch up with you, Laura, and hear about everything you're doing. Oh, um, Tim Deal, I'm not surprised at all that you have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so great. This is so great. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks again. And uh, I'll talk to you again sometime soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. And we're back. Yes. I enjoyed the interview. Yeah, it was it was really fun to talk with. Laura. It was nice to catch up with her. It had been a very long time. But like I said, I, I really admire what, what they do over at World. And so if, if you are looking for a much more straightforward, like non-sensationalized kind of stuff, if you get a little overstressed by listening to the news, go check out World, um, either in magazine or podcast or on their website, uh, WNG.org. And the podcast is The World and Everything in It. Yes. Available the same place you probably got this podcast. Yes. So worth checking out. Next we have Soundtrack. Our first instinct for soundtrack today was to try to find something from Paperboy. Because Paperboy and newspapers make sense. It does. Unfortunately, there just wasn't uh, any there wasn't any remixes on OC Remix that I was in love with for Paperboy. So I, would, I was trying to decide, okay, what's another famous reporter character? And there's a couple in video games, but I couldn't find a really great one. But then I remembered April O'Neil. April, who can forget April O'Neil? I mean, that, that yellow jumpsuit yeah, exactly. she wears. <laughs> <laughs> From Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fame. And this particular remix I thought seemed perfect. It's called Hot for April. <laughs> uh, that's a nice play on words yeah, there, I the, think. Yeah, the weather is... Yeah. This is a remix from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time. This was done by Juan Medrano, and it's just kind of fun and good send-off for the summer, I think. So enjoy.
All right. That was nice, energetic, and f- I enjoyed it. Are, are you hot for April? I don't know if I should answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I was. But then again, I didn't really watch that much Ninja Turtles growing up. Interesting fact. When, my, uh, when Haley, we were picking names out mm-hmm. like, as kids, and we were to name her April. Oh, Partly okay. she was born in April. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't make sense. She was born in April. Uh-huh. And also because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I was like nine at the time. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Name it after her. But we didn't do that. Her name's Haley. Okay. It has nothing to do with turtles. <laughs> it's not even her middle name? No. Oh. No. No April. Okay. Well. So, sadness. Sadness. You didn't even name any of your, your kids April, though. I know. I, I went Russian. <laughs> and science fiction-y. Um, oh, well. Anyways. Um, so, next, let's go to our take on Tales. It is time for our annual summer movie review. Da-da-da-da. It's always a little late. <laughs> yeah, ideally it really should have been last episode, but we had other things we wanted to yeah, do with like uh, listen to Thor. Yeah. <laughs> but we had fun. Yeah, and it was good ice cream and stuff after. Yes, yes. I had to think about where we were at last time. <laughs> Come on, I can't forget Wits End. As and no, it's it's pretty memorable. Anyway, so it was a big, uh, as usual, summer m- movie blockbuster time. Yeah, some of these are a long time ago. I mean, like the world world media moves so fast yeah. that you're like, what that that old thing? You well, mean Avengers? Yeah, because we always start off with our superheroes because that's that's our current culture. Yeah, and um, but I mean, yeah, it started with what Black Panther back in February. Well, we yeah, that, about that. Yeah, and that's not summer. That's not summer. I mean, granted, nowhere Avengers <laughs> Infinity War was like the end of. April, so that's barely summer, but we'll count very that. technically, yeah. yeah and it's and it's like on DVD already, so yeah, <laughs> it's so, like, so this is your DVD review, I guess. <laughs> but uh, so Avengers Infinity War, we horrible, said, no, <laughs> we we talked about with Greg that it would be a very different kind of superhero movie, and it was, it was what it should have been, yeah. it was the world's first crossover movie. I mean, it was basically the first epic crossover like movie. I mean, we've had crossovers and then there are crossovers. This was this is what it I mean, it had the strengths of a crossover and it had the weaknesses of a crossover, which yeah. is if you wanted lots of new character development, not happening. Yeah. But if you wanted to see everyone run around doing cool things and like things in peril, yeah, pretty much awesome. Although I would say the main thread to tie it all together, Thanos his story was actually pretty interesting. I thought that was, I think, the fact that they gave the only real plot arc. I mean, everyone, all the superheroes had plot arcs that moved a little bit, left over from other movies. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. Thor had more of it than a, a Thor, l- Thor had quite a substantial one. I think I remember reading somewhere that the directors decided they wanted to very purposely give Thor a lot of screen time because he wasn't one of the major players in the previous Avengers movies. Okay. Well, which is nice, and especially coming off of what a lot of people thought was a particularly strong Thor movie. Yeah. But Thanos, they basically made the entire movie about him, not just like, hey, he's a bad guy, but like, he's our emotional center. Yeah. Which is a fascinating choice to make him, he has the character arc, he has the choices to make, he has the sacrifices, he has... The, does, goal, the goal to achieve, basically. Yeah, does he, he win or not? It. Yeah. And to make him, from a writing point of view, that's a, that was a interesting and I think very beneficial for the movie choice. If you had tried to do it on the heroes, I don't think it would have been too many moving parts. It would be a lot of moving parts. I mean, probably one of the heroes' main pathos story arcs was Tony Stark. Yeah. Because Tony's been, he's been dreading this moment for like eight, basically ever since, I guess, the first Avengers movie. But, but, but then again, it's basically just the end of an arc that's been started in other movies. Yeah, that's true. Well, consequences. Consequences. Yeah, and I enjoy that. And okay. It was just fun to see all these people interacting with each other. They were just oh yeah, always especially ones that you hadn't gotten to see interact before. That's that's one of the great things about the way MCU works is that because they space it out so so cleverly, you always have someone new to interact with someone some of the old. I mean, Spider Man with anyone, um, <laughs> Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange. I mean, some of these ones that had their own movie had never really been. I mean, Doctor Strange showed up in Ragnarok, but um, but just at the tail just end. A, he was no, the, no, no, he was at the beginning of Ragnarok, wasn't he? Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Thor showed up at the end of Doctor Strange. Strange, yeah. yeah. But yeah, for, for a lot of them, I mean, getting to hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. finally getting them to see with some of these other... Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy was pretty great. That was that was pretty awesome. Before we forget, I want to go one back to um, Thanos here real quick. I remember thinking, 
one a great intro for the movie. Like yeah. it really s- kind of sets a somber tone very quickly, which is kind of unusual in some ways for a Marvel movie like, to get that serious that quick. Um, but also, I thought it was important for later on when he was fighting the Hulk and the one guy's about to interfere and the other's like, no, 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 let him have his fun. Yeah. Just to show one, we've never seen Hulk get beat down like that. So yeah. it, again, set the stakes pretty high and Thanos' power level pretty quickly. But two, just the fact that he apparently enjoys the conflict, he enjoys the battle. I felt that was really important when he basically has continues to get more and more godlike powers. Yeah. And it's like, why doesn't he just turn everyone into bubbles? And it's like, yeah. no, it's like... He doesn't care to. He doesn't care to. He, he likes the fight, essentially, I think. The other very interesting choice was to basically end it as a downer. Yeah. How it was daring. Not only that, but like, no to be continued, no they'll be back, just in the end. They're dead. Well, at the very end of the credits, I think it says Thanos will return. Oh, yeah. As opposed to the Avengers will return so, or something. So, I mean... I kind of, I mean I remember two part but it didn't say part one or it was just the end you're just like what <laughs> and we still don't know the name of the next movie I kept I mean honestly until the very end I thought they were gonna find some way to pull out of it some sort of you catastrophe like would say no nothing yeah just, yeah it was it was shocking for I think everyone I mean this is old news at this point at least but, hopefully um, if you're sorry <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Crazy. here's my here's my question, Tim. We had some time. Obviously, it was a very entertaining movie. It's a good capstone for ten years of Marvel or whatever. But do you think it holds up as a movie by itself? I think largely because of the Thanos storyline. I think I I would say it does. I mean, again, it'd be I'd be much more interested to hear what a person who had never seen any of the other Marvel movies going into it would say because it's hard to judge other outside yeah. of that perspective. What you would think about having all these characters. I mean. Certain ones like Captain America, Black Widow. You know. we, I mean, we we know, but a person seeing this for the first time oh, may not ha- know a whole lot about true. who they are because they don't have that much screen time yeah. compared to some of the other characters. I just wonder that because it's like it's a crossover event, but it requires so much info to understand everything fully. And I just wonder, you know, do all these conflicts, you know, it sits inside this meta narrative mm-hmm. that Marvel's created by one like 10 years down the line. Is this, you know, made bazillions of dollars. Yeah. But is it one of those things like, say, James Cameron's Avatar, that right place, right time? Mm. Or will it... I, I don't need to know. I just think it's a curious question because of the type of... It, it sits very particularly in its cultural, in its, in its media moment. moment. Yeah. That's a very good question. I mean, I guess time will tell. I do think, like, there are certain things that, even though, yes, it's good to have seen all the other movies so you understand the context of it, but at the same time, say... Red Skull appearing out of nowhere in this yeah. movie, uh, which was awesome. It was awesome. But at the same time, you don't really need to know his backstory That's to understand true. his role in that scene. I think I think it probably is quite a quite an entertaining action movie, even if you don't know much besides basic superhero yeah. lore. Yeah. And the fact that, uh, you, just the fact that uh, this is on such a bigger scale, not just the number of characters, but like just certain scenes that were mm-hmm. like, he just destroyed a moon. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's when you know your comic book. I mean, that, comic books can, can go in a different level. Anytime I see, like there's this one issue of Justice League where in order to trap the villains, they basically have to drag the moon into Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> I think you had lent that one to me. And it was time. like, that was one moment I, th- I realized comic books are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a movie that leans completely into its comic book. Yes. And Marvel always has, and I think that's been its strength. Mm-hmm. They were one of the, the first to really find the sweet spot for comic book movies. I think yeah. they've, I don't want to say they perfected it, because I don't want to say that, like, obviously Christopher Nolan did a great job of Batman Begins. And but it's a certain style that works. It is a certain style that really works well. All right, so should we go straight to Ant-Man, since we're talking superhero? I, th- I think we might as well. Um, and it was interesting, whereas I think people came out of... Uh, Infinity War kind of shell shocked. Ant Man, I felt was just purely delightful. It was it was a ton of fun. I I, I just had came out with that with just so much joy. Well, at least until the mid credit scene, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's still going on. <laughs> that but, was good. That was good shock. Yeah. Yes, but I mean overall, it was it was just a fun fun movie. What I, what I liked about it, it was endlessly inventive. Mm. In 
And you know, superhero movies have done lots of things already. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they play with the sizes and then the switching. And, and Ghost, I thought, was a very interesting look for a bad uh, for a villain. Mm-hmm. But also a sympathetic villain. Yes. In some ways, not even a villain. More just a anti-hero yeah. or someone that's just a, an antagonist, so yeah. we'll, we'll say. Antagonist? Oh, uh, nice job. <laughs> <laughs> Antonio Bandera. <laughs> um, but I love the fact that they would do some of the humor from the first one. But they weren't playing, they weren't relying too much on, like, doing the same sorts of things as the first movie did. Yes. You know, like, uh, his friend who, like, does the long <laughs> The long story. Speech. Yeah. Like, they just did that once, and it was great. It was the perfect amount. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't uh, another heist movie. I mean, I love that the first Ant-Man was yeah. a heist movie, but it was, it was kind of nice that this one, it, it didn't feel like it needed to be. And leaning into the full comic bookness. Do we just say quantum every other word? I mean, it just... <laughs> yeah. But it's fun to see the quantum zone. You know, yeah. that was always my gripe, and I've probably said this on the podcast before, with the Fantastic Four movies. They're like, we're going to do Fantastic Four, but we're going to make it as least fantastic as possible. Mm-hmm. No, they're like, yeah, we'll get microscopic. We'll get less microscopic. And they'll just live there. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> why not? It's, you know? it's just cool. It's just, it's just fun. You know what it reminded me of, in a way, while I was watching it? Back to the Future. Okay. Because it had that same sort of like, let's play with the speculative science stuff in just a really fun blockbuster movie kind of way. Yeah. And and not not necessarily in a cynical way, like say maybe, I don't know, some people would say Transformers movies okay, or, yeah. you know, like trying to be too hip or something. It's just, I don't know, it just it just had that like effortlessness of like kind of wonder and excitement kind of kind of vibe that you get maybe the Back to the yeah. Future movie. Just quirky. I mean, like the FBI guy trying to learn magic. I mean, just <laughs> yes, the characters just, are all all the characters are great in that movie. It's the thing Marvel's done very well that like they're all f- humorous in some way. You know, there's not really a super serious Marvel movie. Mm. Well, except for maybe Infinity War. Well, okay, but all the characters have their own type of humor. Mm, yes, you know, it's like like Guardian Galaxy humor is very different than Thor humor, which mm-hmm. is different than Black Panther Black humor, Panther. which yeah. didn't have a whole lot of humor, but it had some. It had this sort of, and then like Ant Man humor is just wh- way wacky. off. Of, yeah. The other thing I remember telling you after seeing Ant Man and the Wasp was like, I'm so happy that this movie exists in the same universe as Daredevil. <laughs> Because they're so completely different in tone, and yet the fact that they could inhabit the same world is just wonderful. That's, that's great. Yeah, it was quite entertaining. So okay. Oh, I, we should talk about one other superhero movie that came out this summer, and that is The Incredibles Two. Actually, yes. just Incredibles Two. No, the I think that's okay. Yeah. So I um I, I saw this with my family, and it's been for it's been a long time since Incredibles One, but I really enjoyed it. Part of my memory coming out of it was just. Things just always moving. Like visually, it's just a fascinating movie. It's just a wonderful movie. Everything's moving. Everything's cool. Everything's. Mm-hmm. I know. Then you and I talked later. Is that thematically it was a little muddled? Yeah, I would say I had to agree with Richard Roper, the movie critic, on this one. I think felt like he summed it up best. Whereas he said this movie was a solid double. It was just kind of disappointing in that it wasn't a, a home run or a mm-hmm. grand slam, um, which is kind of the way I felt about it. It's like it's. It's a good movie. It's not a great movie, I felt, because it just never soared for yeah. me in certain ways. There's a lot of good There's some set pieces. Great scenes. The whole the whole uh chase scene with Elastigirl on That's the fabulous. on the motorcycle, that was awesome. Raccoon versus Jack Jack. Yes. Well pretty much anything with Jack Jack. Anything with Jack Jack. Okay, granted. <laughs> he was the MVP of this movie. Yeah. I mean, and like some of the superheroes, like the um the reflux. Um <laughs> Is it acid reflux or is it a superpower? I don't know. <laughs> and again, Brad Bird does set pieces like, like yeah, wonderful. No one else. I mean, that's his. Yeah. That's something he's particularly good at. Yes. But yeah, I mean, like I like the idea of um, Screen Slaver, which is a great name. Yeah, Screen Slaver. But thematically, like I could never quite figure out exactly. Really interesting ideas, but I wasn't know what it was supposed to feel about at the end. And maybe that was the point. But well, they, the heroes never really gave a good answer like what yeah. what they were doing and what screenslaver was trying to do kind of felt like two different things and they didn't answer each other yeah they didn't really mesh together very well. and i remember hearing actually that brad bird even said that they had some of the basic idea for for the main characters for a long time but they couldn't quite figure out what villain they wanted to go with and that kind of came through i felt in the final product because Again, heroes were cool, the villain was cool, but they never really felt like they meshed together thematically as well as as it was ideal. I did say, my wife and I, after we saw it, said, 
it's also very entertaining just because it feels very much like a real family. This is how real yes. how real siblings and parents act with each other. It's like yeah. the things that Mr. Incredible would like try not to say to his wife or say to his <laughs> wife. Or, uh-huh. I mean, resonate very well. You know, Violet like blowing water out her. No, I mean that scene was. She's just there in the camera. I mean, it was a great. Oh yeah. Visual. <laughs> but yeah, I, I know that's again something that Brad Bird said that interested him the most about doing an Incredibles, Incredibles movie, the family dynamic, mm-hmm. which kind of makes me wish, and I was thinking this even when I saw the trailers for it, and I saw right away, oh, this is not the setup that I wanted for the Incredibles sequel. I wanted them to be working as a family unit, yeah. as a superhero family unit the whole time, and instead it was kind of a reverse of the first one where yeah. Helen was going off and yeah. Bob stayed at home, which... Okay, it makes sense. And it's a nice kind of balance, reverse kind of angle story. Um, I, you know, I appreciated that. That's, it makes sense. But if they ever do a third one, and I really want them to do a third <laughs> one now, I want the whole family on like on the trip together. Like, make it maybe a family vacation that turns into a mission of sorts. Just, just turn, give us like a 12-episode season yes. of like our episodes. Yeah, oh, seriously. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would be great. Yeah. And then you wouldn't have to have the the pressure of what a one movie has to be, but you could mm. have a lot of that fun and exploration and crazy characters and... I mean, it'd take forever doing Pixar style, but yeah, I mean they've done it, but I feel like they would want Brad Bird involved, and I don't know if he's ready to to do a small screen yeah. thing. He he's in love with big screen cinema. Yeah. If you follow his Twitter, he's always talking about the value of going to see a movie on a big screen, and it's the last place where filmmakers get to have the final say on how their picture looks and all that kind of stuff. Which I mean, it it looks great. Yeah. It does. I mean, I, I totally... Under, there's a I lot empath- of good stuff about it, but yeah, there's yeah, just... I empathize this. and I understand where he's coming from, but man, I want more Incredibles. Yeah. I, I, I want more of yeah. them at, together, working together. So anyway, so that's that was Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. Now let's go backwards a little bit more in time. We're kind of jumping all over the summer. But we, had to do all those, we had to do all the superheroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Solo. Solo. Okay. Yeah, that, that came out this summer, too. You may have forgotten about and, it already. And that's that's the story, I think. That's the problem with yeah, this movie. And I think the thing is, now that Star Wars is a franchise, I mean, it always was, but I mean, now that it's like, it's just going to have movies, mm-hmm. and they're not all going to be episode whatever. Yeah. I think we're going to just get used to Star Wars being sometimes just a popcorn movie. Just okay. Like, it was, it was fun, and then you're done. Yeah. I think the problem with this one, well, I mean, it had a couple built-in baggage. One, the, the behind-the-scenes stories that had come out were not yeah. very flattering. Two, you've got a Han Solo movie without Harrison Ford. Which is just, you're working against the tide, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Three, Star Wars fans already know what a Han Solo's story should be like. I mean, we've there's been a lot of books, Han yeah. Solo books, prequels, whatever you want to call yeah. them, out there. Han Solo trilogy, the Han Solo adventures, <laughs> Scoundrels was kind of a, a heist thing with Han and Lando. So you're not really treading new ground here, which is what the other Disney Star Wars movies have done. Okay, well maybe not Force Awakens, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's debatable. But I mean, Rogue One and The Last Jedi both were very daring and doing yeah. new stuff while still staying true, I would argue, to Star Wars spirit. And Solo was felt like something that belonged in the Star Wars universe. It just wasn't new enough in, in a lot Yeah, of it was it was just an odd yeah. It's just one thing that was enjoyable. There's some neat scenes. Like, well, Darth Maul's here. That's cool. Yeah, that was interesting. Like I really wanted us to like just see where that goes. And like, yeah, I, I, yes, I'm curious to see what would they have planned for certain plot threads. The other complaint I would have against this movie personally is I did not care for the cinematography on it very much. I mean, there are certain scenes like when they're on the cliffside or or whatever that yeah. looked kind of cool, um, but this movie was way too dark, way mm-hmm. too desaturated for my taste. I can see that. It's it's like. Because we're filming everything in digital now, it's all high def. They feel like they have to really desaturate and really tone down the darkness of a movie to not, I don't know, either to make it feel more like Star Wars, although the other prequels didn't have that problem, or maybe just because this is, you know, kind of a grungier sort of setting. Yeah. But, like, it was overdone, I well, felt. Yeah, it's, it's one of these things, and I, I don't know what what the best option for, you know, the Disney execs, what kind of Star Wars movie. Because the problem is if you pick someone, someone everyone knows, like Han Solo or... Whatever you're gonna you're gonna have all kinds of people bring preconceived notions. You're gonna have to work within certain limits, but you can't do something completely new because people won't care. Yeah. 
So, like, Rogue One worked really well because the character was the Death Star. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there had been stories, one or two stories before, about people getting the Death Star plans. But it wasn't it wasn't a landmark story or wasn't a, uh, it didn't have a lot of promise. Like, well, I think it's a mission in Dark Forces. and it's, yeah. But it's, like, the first mission. So, as much as I love Cal Katarn, I wasn't that heartbroken yeah. that they changed that, you know, that one that Scene. one setup. Yeah. And, and people still, you know, there's a section of Star Wars fans, like, the original movies is a thing. So, like, Death Star is easy to sell. Million Falcon is easy to sell. But some of the other stuff hits too close. Or mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, there's some cool scenes here. There's some cool ideas. I actually enjoyed the Kessel Run part. I thought that whole yeah. thing in space was actually pretty cool. There were other things I thought were... I was not actually a fan of... I know some people enjoyed the the rebellion robot sort of thing. I, that character, that character was skittering a little too close to like, I don't know. I'm always, I think you have to be very careful with how you do droids. I think make them too realistic and you started getting into weird morality debates, morality debates. And it's like, I, I don't think you should just even go there. Well, be the 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 fantasy of Star Wars has, you know, in some of these modern movies, going to start wearing thin because it's a, a very modern world now. And, and people try and to expand in some ways. You writers start thinking, how can I? What's the repercussions that you know consequences? The mm. consequences tend to be more realistic than yeah. That's I mean that's the downside of the Star Wars universe in general. And, and for a while, that's one reason why I like keeping extended universe stuff kind of separate. Like not wasn't fully canon in my head because that yeah. way you can kind of keep it a little bit more abstract. Well, I mean but. the problem is when it started, it was just it was basically just a fairy tale, and then it got a history, and then yeah. it got. Mm-hmm. Clone Wars and books. I mean, that are canon now. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, not a failure, but just kind of just love popcorn, watch it, enjoy, mm-hmm. leave. It seems to me that like the formula for Star Wars movies now is like must throw in some quirky robot. <laughs> yeah. Which it's not a necessity. I no, not say. no. I mean, everyone does it because the last movie had one. Well, yeah. Well, which movie? I'm just saying in general. Oh, yeah. We had BB-8. People love BB-8. And you had that whatever C- that droid was in Rogue One. Exactly. Yeah, C-3PO and yeah. R2-D2 and, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so that's what we got for Solo. Sorry, Solo. Yeah. You were just okay. Yeah. In contrast, the last one I think we wanted to talk about, unless there's something that I'm forgetting, Nick. I don't think so. Okay. Well, let's talk real quick about Mission Impossible Fallout. Which is the only one I did not see. Ah, see, I'm so actually, I saw it kind of late myself. I think I saw it like a month after it came out. My brother said it was a particularly good one. It was a good one. The, it's like the best, like he t- said, it took a lot of the best parts of yes, previous I, ones. I would say, yeah, I think that's true. It, it uh, I would say it was... I liked Rogue Nation, the one before it. This, the same director worked worked on this one, and I think it's an even better movie. Okay. Um, the climax, that thing is in particular, is a lot is really good. It's actually one of the I'd say one of the best Mission Impossible climaxes we've had in a while. Nice. Maybe actually the best Mission Impossible climax since the first one. The more I think about it, but the so they do interesting things with the characters. There's some returning ones that I had not expected. I won't mention what yeah. it was now, but I thought that was some very clever choices from, again, pulling in characters from a long time in the franchise. It's kind of remarkable. This franchise seems to just be getting stronger as it goes, whereas <laughs> a lot of franchises get weaker. This yeah. one seems to be getting stronger in some ways, uh, which is really interesting. I think it might be partly because Tom Cruise realizes he doesn't have very many of these left in him. I remember even the last one thinking, okay, man, I think you're getting a little old to be trying some of this stuff, <laughs> throwing yourself off motorcycles and things like that. But Come on, you can do that until you're 80. <laughs> I guess. I guess Harrison Ford is still planning to do another Indiana Jones movie. Oh, and, like, I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> but it was Mission Impossible Fallout. I highly recommend it. So good, good Mission Impossible. But I know, I think my brother said, like, the team's great, mm-hmm. the villain's good. Mm-hmm. Good locations? Yeah, I'd say good locations. I mean, if you want pure set pieces, Ghost Protocol is still still the best for that. So still, still the best for that. But this one, this is a very strong one. This is definitely up. I'd say up in the top two or three Mission nice. Impossible movies. You mean above Mission Impossible Two? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I think everything might be. <laughs> okay, well, I think that wraps up our summer movie discussion. Yes. If there are movies that we have not seen, you can yes Twitter us about let, let us know what we missed. If there was some summer movie you wanted us to talk about that we just didn't wind up seeing. I mean, honestly, I felt for five movies over the course of three some months or something like that, I was I was happy with, yeah. with the amount I was in the theater anyway. There, was, yeah. there wasn't anything I felt like I missed out on. That nothing else really grabbed my interest. Mm-hmm. 
So, all right. So, summer's over. There's our movie reviews. Hopefully, we'll have some fun things to watch in the future. Uh, yeah, who knows what this TV season will, will bring about. I, I don't know that there's really anything. Someone told me about Manifest. Have you heard of that? The Manifest? Oh, is that the one that's coming on ABC? I don't know. My sister told me about it. I don't hardly watch any normal TV, but like to go up when the plane come down is like 100 years later or something like that. I remember seeing a, a couple previews for that or commercials. And I think Charming is on it. Prince Charming oh, really? from Once Upon a Time. I think he's uh, one of the main characters. Zach won't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you never know. But yeah, I don't know. We'll have to do some sort of uh, take on tales on Netflix stuff one day. Uh, maybe. So anyways, let's uh, end with some contact info, Tim. Okay, you can always get a hold of us. Leave us a comment at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. All of our episodes are available on there, including episodes of The Weekly Hijack. Which is where we uh, do our fast take on different episodes of TV. We've been going through Babylon 5. You should join us because Babylon 5 is a wonderful show. Yes, and it is available on Amazon. And We used to say it was available on Go90, but that site is not available anymore. No, which I'm glad somewhere like people actually know about yes. now. <laughs> yes, go, if you have Amazon Prime, then you should be using that to watch Babylon 5 right now. Yes. like You can, you can pause this, come back to listen to Nick's soundtrack, and go watch Babylon 5. Exactly. Because we love it. And then um, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Because we are at those places, and uh, we're trying to use them more often. <laughs> With varying success. <laughs> we obviously, we're not made for the social media era. Yeah, it's, it's almost like we, we grew up at a time when that wasn't a thing. I, I guess so. Isn't that it's weird? strange. Yeah. So anyways, Tim, I yes. got this soundtrack here. You got a soundtrack. So again, I didn't like the Paper Boys very much either. But I'm like, what should I do? Anyways, I remembered in um, Dragon Quest games, when you save, you go to the church... And they're like, let me record your journey. And then, like, you basically tell them what happened, and then it saves. So you're telling them this at a church? Are you confessing? Kind of, yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's it, just what they do. And, like, well, Dragon, War, Dragon Quest Seven, which is what my remix comes from this time. Okay. Um, plus, I've been wanting to do a song from this game for a long time. The game's fun. Good music. Anyways, this is called Deeper in the Heart, remixed by Blue Lighter, Arvengath. Chris Amaturasu and Kadamari. Um, I know I always get the ones with the interesting names. pronunciation, and I can't talk anyways. So, <laughs> what are you doing on a podcast? I, Ninety episodes in, I still don't know. <laughs> so, in any case, I hope you enjoy. It. It's a little more slow and somber, but it's an enjoyable song. Okay. Well, I think it's time for us to head home. I feel like we've been to the city before. I don't know. It looks familiar, but. I don't know. We've been to a lot of places. Been a lot of cities. Been to a lot of cities. At least, if we have been here before, I don't think it was in this good shape. That's good. So I'm bad. Or it's good that it's better now. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's what you meant. You just yeah. <laughs> ninety <laughs> episodes in. Don't know why I'm on podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, anyway, <laughs> folks. This has been Nick, and this is Tim. Adios. Bye.